they have they're in kind of a pickle with him because if they actually go to trial, um, they got a good chance of getting exposed. The voting machine people. Mm-hmm. Uh, I did notice that our Supreme Court uh, picks from Trump, all three of those conservatives are now sh- uh, showing their true colors if, as if one wondered about them. Uh, right. They're they're towing the line. I thought, you know, they just look like swamp monsters to me. Just fall in line, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I read a couple articles where where the articles were leaning to to the idea that boy, these these conservative justices are overturning uh, things everywhere and causing people's heads to explode on all of these on all of these decisions that um, are just so contrary to 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 the left's position and so forth over the years, and I was like scratching my head. Well. Okay, you're writing an article. Give me some examples. Exactly. And there were there weren't any examples other than you know no. the 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 abortion one and uh, a couple of others that they've hinted that need to be overturned because of of uh, you know some of these decisions. And so, mm-hmm. well, we have to wait yet and see what's going to be you know turned because it hasn't yet. Well, so I I believe that the abortion thing was uh part of the playbook. Same thing as the uh Ukraine war, same thing as the uh hurricane. Now we've got a hurricane to blame the ineptitude on. And we just find one cause after another and now they're going to give us some more January sixth and explain to us what really happened. My gosh, you know, if you believe, if you seriously believe uh, either one of these parties, really, uh, it's a vote for stupidity. I, I would be afraid to meet the people that would line up and vote for this repeat of this this governing, this ruling junta. I mean, do you know somebody that would want this <laughs> open border, uh, a spending spree like never before in history? Uh, I heard this morning he's going to give eighty thousand dollars to everybody that that experienced any harm in the in the earth, uh, hurricane. I was just thinking to myself, Doug could build a pretty good house for eighty grand. I bet Russell might could. <laughs> just ha- just cut him a check. Russell might build one with a roof that leaks, but I could come by <laughs> and take care of that with him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, you're the one that made it rain. <laughs> I know. I know. Good Never evening, guys. That one down. Good evening. Uh, don't mind that. I'll silence that. Well, let me tell you what so, we did 
in Fort Worth. Go ahead. They had one of their uh, sodomite parade days, and somebody don't know who it was, but they set up a a counter, and it was pretty impressive. I mean, to me, it was just people out there praising the Lord and praying that he would intervene in this situation. And they were, sure seemed like they were earnestly praying. Yeah. Of course, they had police out there in force. Just in case one of these wacky Christians went nuts. What I was told. Sure, sure. I mean that's a that's a that was a big deal. These people were just singing praise songs and preaching God's word. I tell you what, told Cindy, it, it kind of warms my heart to see some opposition. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, and, definitely. Yeah, and it wasn't in a bad light. It wasn't in a bad light. It wasn't in a, like, these people don't know what they're doing. They look like, to me, these Christians knew what they had probably planned this, you know, this attack. And um, it was impressive. Well, and and that... The only hate I experienced was God's hate of that sin. Yeah. And they were just they were just letting them know about it. You know, in a very, very kind way. Mm-hmm. So You know, and that's probably a lot of what um and, and I don't want anybody to misunderstand what I'm saying. Um, uh, this really, to me, seems to be where we're at as a people, and especially a Christian people, and most especially as biblical Israelites. When you don't really understand who you are, and the great mm-hmm. commission that you were given to carry out in the will of the creator then you're left with the idea that your only option i guess is to protest louder at the gay pride extravaganza and mm-hmm. um that's very very unfortunate and these you know fellowships um especially i think these ones that we're engaged in right now as well as the ones that we undertook just over the last several weeks with racial exclusivity um they're very important for this time because we have for so long been inundated with the last days by you know the the rank and file pulpit uh, preachers out there 
and I don't even I tried to find out. I think I said in in part one of this series just exactly how many books might have been written about that. And I obviously couldn't get it under the search parameters I was getting. But seriously, if any one of you has entered into a quote unquote Christian bookstore, you know the volumes of books that are written about the last days or the revelation. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's just it's mind boggling the number of Mm -hmm. books that have been written about it. And without having an understanding of who we are as the people of God and what our commission is, and that we do not have to worry about the face of man, because we're to be about the Father's business in accordance with his will. And Mm -hmm. that gives us great um, opportunities to bring the blessings uh, that are due humanity via this creator, this God of Jacob that has prophesied, spoke them into existence, and still intends that they be fulfilled throughout the entire globe. And so I think this is, you know, another message here. I'm, I'm trusting that people are are understanding or and again when i say the word i mean that gee i'm high above you in a scholastic achievement and someone else is way below in scholastic achievement or something i i just mean i hope you're understanding what i'm trying to say period you know Mm -hmm. and uh russell when you indicated to me about you know, corporate bail God deities and so forth. I mean, uh-huh. we've had fellowships on that. You know, we we had fellowships uh-huh. on that where um, I don't remember which one it is. I'd have to pull the archives up, but I, I remember um, bail God deities. It was in the title um, and, uh, you know, corporate bail God deities. In fact, I believe is mm-hmm. what I may have titled it. And yeah, we have yet so many people, though, who yet have not fully decided that they'd love to have God actually ruling over them and that they would like to once again return to no king but Jesus. And what I'm trying to do a little bit in these fellowships with you guys who already know your biblical identity and so forth is to give us more tools to work with and uh, perhaps yeah. you know a little more understanding of things than than we might have had over the years um and to shed some new light and and so forth i'm not uh, you know coming to these fellowships to parrot you know the uh, you know the the messages of those that came before me um mm-hmm. I'm really contending for the faith and I want us to be able to contend for the faith together and be able to make those strong arguments to those who simply have not been told, simply do not understand and are missing out on a great portion of of that that understanding. And I don't want to lose a lot of time here, but I'd like to probably go ahead and get into some of the notes and stuff. Uh, This is going to be part three in the series that I've titled The Cult of the Last Days in Obscuring the Identity of Biblical Israel. 
maybe somebody doesn't really know why such a title, but that clearly is why I've chosen that title because last days, last days, last days. And Russell, you kind of, again, inspired me to the title, I think, because, you know, here was all these people that were telling you, this is it, boy, the 24th, this is when it's all going to happen. And it just made me think of the whole last days deal. And everybody's talking about these are the last days. I mean, these are the days and the times. Uh, this is exactly what the Bible's, you know, talking about these days when, you know, people will grow more wicked and more wicked and, you know, on and on and on and on. And we have to begin to recognize and wrestle with this idea that that has done us a great damage because it has taken our eyes away from who we are and what we are to be about, which is our father's business. And it has obscured that identity, obscured that identity into basically saying, come, Jesus, take us away from this. You all have heard this. You have people in your own families, I know, who have said, I just wish Jesus would hurry up and come and take care of this mess or words to that effect. And that just basically turns to God and says, God, it's such a mess. You take care of it. We don't know how to. We don't have a clue what it is you expect of us or whatever it is. We're just resigning ourselves to him coming and cleaning up the mess. And it's like, how long will we live as a people commissioned with such a great commission as he's given? To just resign ourselves to the defeat that, well, let's just wait on Jesus and he'll take care of everything for us. <laughs> I, it just, well, it, it, I have a confession to make. I, oh, I'm sure oh, that, I, uh, news, I'm, bulletin, news bulletin Russell has confession. Um, I, uh, I'm not sure I'm qualified to receive your confession. Rich, are you qualified to receive Russell's confession? I was uh, brought uh, up Catholic, but I don't have that authority. <laughs> <laughs> I I stumbled across some words last night, and I wasn't sure of their meaning, so I looked them up. And lo and behold, uh, Paul had a mission, and it's really not all that different than the mission that Doug or Russell or Rich ought to have. And that mission was to take this epistle, which what I found out when I looked it up was a body of knowledge, and then go be an apostle, which is another word for a, a messenger, so you take the the wisdom that's granted to you by God through whatever means it comes to you with or by, and you take that message and you go and you you sh- share it for back, lack of a better word. And the reason you do that is so that we might be worthy of the Lord. In verse Colossians one ten, 
worthy to please him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing the knowledge of God. And that could not sum up what we attempt to do here Tuesday nights any better. Do you do you think? Yeah, yeah, I I I like that. I think that's a, a fitting uh, uh, a fitting uh, introduction introduction or an idea of of what the of what the intention is. Absolutely, yeah. Excuse me, I wanted to say something. Sure. You know what you just talked about um, with, with Christ coming. I don't know if you remember you and I having a conversation, and I said, "Well, I always find comfort in Revelation 21 and 22." And you said to me, "You said, Melissa, do you expect Christ to come down on a fluffy cloud and clean up our mess?" And Doug, I just want to tell you, those words really changed. Um, my thought process on this, and I, I want to uh, thank you for that because you are a hundred percent correct. Well, I, I appreciate uh, you know the the accolade there, and yeah, I I really do. I think that uh, it's really time for us to pull up the big boy britches, and and in Melissa's case, the big girl britches. <laughs> she's and she's clearly shown me and demonstrated to me that. She's pulling them on good, and uh, she's mm-hmm. uh, she's wearing that dress very very handily, and she's letting uh, uh, many people know that uh, there's been some things wrong in our understanding, and she's trying to correct it using whatever tools we've got here at Gideon Warrior Network available to try to do that and reach those that that she's been in communication with over the years. So. Uh, absolutely, I, I appreciate it. Yes, uh, as I say to her every time, and was about to say, to God be the glory, because that's that's the objective. Amen. To Him be the yep. glory. Mm-hmm. Okay, so let me take you back to one of our most notable demands for liberty. And relief from oppression. And it's probably one that you never really thought about. Turn with me to 1 Kings. This is something that I have really been um, encouraged by. That has been, you know, re-opened up to my eyes, if you will. You know, First Kings, as you're in there, you go back a few chapters from First Kings 12, where we're going to be 11 and 12. And remember, a lot of this is about Solomon's, um, or a good portion of this First Kings here, has to do with Solomon. And remember, Solomon asked for wisdom to rule such a mighty people as this. And God granted him that wisdom, granted him that answer to the prayer because he asked not for things for himself but that he asked for wisdom but something derailed all of this death is about to take king solomon we're going to pick up the story at um first kings 
Well, I, I really want to get into First Kings 12, so maybe for a little bit more context here, let's do First Kings 11 and start at verse 26. And Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, an Ephrathite of Zareta, Solomon's servant, whose mother's name was Zeruah, a widow woman, even he lifted up his hand against the king. Who lifted up his hand against the king? Jeroboam. Jeroboam was a servant. And this was the cause that he lifted up his hand against the king. Solomon built Milo and repaired the breaches of the city of David, his father. And the man Jeroboam was a mighty man of valor. And Solomon, seeing that the young man was industrious, he made him ruler over all the charge of the house of Joseph. And it came to pass at that time when Jeroboam went out of Jerusalem, that the prophet Ahijah, the Shalonite, found him in the way and clad himself. He had clad himself with a new garment and they two were alone in the field. And Ahijah caught the new garment that was on him and he rent it in 12 pieces. And he said to Jeroboam, take thee 10 pieces. Jeroboam is a servant. Don't miss this. And the servant was told, take 10 pieces for thus says Yahweh, the God of Israel, behold, I will rend the kingdom out of the hand of Solomon and I will give 10 tribes to thee. But he shall have one tribe for my servant David's sake and for Jerusalem's sake, the city which I have chosen out of all the tribes of Israel. All right, so we have some context here of what we're going, getting ready to go into. We know that there's something amiss. Jeroboam, the servant, is a little bit amiss with something that Solomon has done. And now we get into... um, Uh, Solomon's death here at verse 41. And now let's go to chapter 12. Rehoboam, who is Solomon's son, goes to Shechem for all Israel were come to Shechem to make him king. It came to pass when Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, who was yet in Egypt, heard of it, for he was fled from the presence of King Solomon and Jeroboam dwelt in Egypt. So this takes you back to 11, 28 to 30, uh, 32 there. And they sent and called him and Jeroboam and all the congregation of Israel came and spake unto Rehoboam saying, thy father made our grievous, our yoke grievous. Now, therefore, make thou the grievous service of thy father and his heavy yoke, which he put upon us lighter and will serve thee. And he said unto them, depart for three days, then come again to me. And the people uh, departed. King Rehoboam consulted with the old men that stood before Solomon, his father, while he yet lived and said, how do you advise that I answer these people? They spake unto him saying, it will, if thou will be a servant unto this people this day and will serve them and answer them and speak good words to them, then they will be your servants forever. But he forsook the counsel of the old men, which they had given him, and consulted with the young men that were grown with him and which stood before him. And he said unto them, What counsel gives you? The answer of his people who have spoken to me. Make the yoke which my father did put on us lighter? Question mark. And the young men that were grown up with him spake unto him, saying, Thus shalt thou speak unto this people that spake unto thee, saying, Thy father made our yoke heavy, but make thou it lighter unto us. Thou shalt say unto them, 
my little finger shall be thicker than my father's loins. And now, whereas my father did laid you with a heavy yoke, I will add to your yoke. My father has chastised you with whips, but I'll chastise you with scorpions. <clears throat> Rehoboam rejects the counsel of the elders, takes the counsel of the young and increases the burdens. And the first one of the first instances that he takes as his king king duty or kingly you know, realm, one of the first actions he takes is to send a tax collector at Aram uh, out to to the realm. And the I children of Israel says right here. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> Verse 18 of the same chapter 12. Then King Rehoboam sent Adoram out who was over the tribute and all Israel stoned him with stones that he died. And I thought, my word, what a novel idea to go stone 87,000 of these tax collectors in order to make the point. <laughs> and <clears throat> exactly. So, so here we have all of Solomon's wisdom. It's actually netted him one son and him being a fool. A fool as God surely knew. And this fool was the instrument through which God would rend the Davidic kingdom in two. Have we been thinking about this that way? It is here that we find the spirit of the Saxon. Solomon's 300 concubines and some 1,000 wives drew Solomon into abundant sin. And Israel well knew the sum which would be extracted from them for their annual maintenance. It was certainly of God. But the heart of Israel had already become weary with monarchy. Do you see this in this scripture? Do you recognize what we are witnessing? They were already discontent with monarchy, and they are in the second kingdom, which is the kingdom of Solomon, or the kingly reign, I should say, the reign of Solomon after his father David. So we're already just 80 years into this monarchy that they asked for. A little bit more than that because we do have Saul before that. But you can see right here in these 80-year period between David and Solomon, we're already seeing the wheels of the chariot coming off. And they had become weary with monarchy. And this too is a sign of Jacob Israel. Think about that. This too is a sign of Jacob Israel. Remember in the eighth book of Samuel is where they asked for a king. And now here we are at the end of Solomon's reign and they're fed up. In fact, they're seeing the trajectory of this. And God intended to rend the kingdom from Solomon. 
you have the scripture right there. He indeed used the occasion of the desire for liberty from the oppression of Solomon. Don't miss that. What was their cause of action when they went before the king? They said, we're burdened and oppressed. Relieve this oppression and this burden and we'll serve you. And Rehoboam says, <laughs> are you kidding me? You ain't seen nothing yet. And he <laughs> used this occasion. Got, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, I was just agreeing with you. Yeah, yeah so God used the occasion. Class. Yeah, yeah, he he was a liberal, I guess. Huh? Well, I tell you what, we've got a lot on that right side of it that are just as bad. But he, Yahweh used the occasion of the desire for liberty from the oppression of Solomon as the spark to actually ignite the flame of no king but Jesus centuries before we heard it as a battle cry. I hope you understand and are getting the sense of what I'm trying to show here. In 1 Kings 12, 4, thy father made our yoke grievous. Now, therefore, make thou the grievous service of thy father and his heavy yoke, which he put on us lighter and will serve you. Okay, the father, Solomon, made the yoke grievous. Make it easier. What was this yoke? Does anybody know what this yoke was? Flip back a few pages. <laughs> I think you're on to something, Mr. Russell. First Kings mm -hmm. chapter four. And we're going to go to verse seven. And Solomon had 12 officers over all Israel, which provided victuals. For the king and his household, each man his month in a year made provision. And then he cites the sons, the son of Hur and the Mount of Ephraim, you see, and goes on down through the whole, the whole list. Now, what you see here in this yoke was each man a month provision. Imagine what the Israelites of Solomon's day being required to provide a month worth of provenders to the king first, one twelfth. Imagine their disdain of having a burden of five twelfths as it is today. And these cultists of the last days, they do not want themselves to turn back to having no king but Jesus by their own taking of that dominion franchise. Rather, they prefer the cult's preference that Jesus come and do it for them. And actually, I guess, really give them the glory. And it is these Anglo-Saxon Scandinavian I'm sorry, go ahead. They definitely profit from our inability to act correctly, don't they? That's the motivation. They do. 
I mean, today, each of us is working five months out of the year for whatever taxes that we generally are required to pay. It, it's, it's known, you know, it's moved from, from March into April, from April into May. So it is these Anglo-Saxon, Scandinavian, Germanic, Kindred, Celtic peoples who actually secured to themselves the greatest documents of liberty in the vast expanse of the generations. Grasp the concept of that and the totality of it. It is the actual Anglo-Saxon, Germanic, Scandinavian, Celtic, and kindred peoples who have secured to themselves the greatest documents of liberty in the vast expanse of generations that have come and gone. Most notable of these was actually the tribe of Dan. In the first book of Chronicles, a census was taken. Dan is already absent from that census. Some speculate as to why he's absent. He's also absent in Revelation, and some speculate as to why he's absent in Revelation. I believe it's because he's absent only because he's counted among Ephraim. Ephraim. But the legend has it that Dan had already left this area at the time of the division of Israel and Judah. Right here, they had left. And the reason that they left was because verse 16 in chapter 12. So when all Israel saw that the king hearkened not unto them, the people answered the king saying, what portion have we in David? There. They're saying, why do we stay and serve in this portion of David when our sustenance is being extracted by us solely for the maintenance? And you can imagine in those days, one twelfth would have been significant. What portion have we in David? Neither have we inheritance in the sons of Jesse. To your tents, O Israel. Now. See to thine own house, David, so Israel departed unto their tents. Now, this was essentially the parting words of war. To your tents, O Israel, we've got nothing in David. And if David is coming after us and is going to force us to service and subservience, do your tents. We've got no portion in this. And you can understand that he that is exactly what they meant is that they would actually have to fight their own brethren because now I didn't make note of that scripture. I wonder if I can find it real quick. But uh, yes, uh, thus said the Lord, you shall not right, right here in verse 24. I had a a little squiggly made around it and tied the two together. So it was good. He says, thus says Yahweh, you shall not go up nor fight against your brethren, the children of Israel. Return every man to his house for this thing is from me. They hearkened therefore to the word of Yahweh and returned to depart according to the word of Yahweh. So the legend has it that Dan took this here 
as their cue to get out of Dodge. And they were now under their king. They did not need to be under this bondage. This division was of God. Do you see the liberty that was in this division? They were no longer going to be under that monarchy. Yes, he promised David he would not lack a man to sit on the throne. Yes, he promised him that. Since he promised him that, he was going to ensure that he could fulfill his promise to David. And he is and he did. So what you have is Dan himself refusing to fight his brethren is already on a course of self-rule or self-judging because that's actually what Dan means, the judge. In fact, Dan was the first of uh, the children from Bilhah, Rachel's handmaid. And uh, the word Dan does mean judge. Turn with me to Genesis chapter 49 and verse 16. Dan shall judge his people as one of the tribes of Israel. Dan shall be a serpent by the way, an adder in the path that bites the horse's heels so that his rider shall fall backward. I have waited for thy salvation, O Lord. I have waited for thy salvation, O Lord. So Jacob is prophesying that Dan is going to judge his people. He's like a serpent by the way, an adder in the path, and Dan awaits the salvation of Yahweh. And I found that to be very, very interesting as well, something that I admit I've missed. I've known this scripture. I've read that scripture. I've understood this prophecy of Dan. But I missed that right there. I have waited for thy salvation, O Lord. Dan was the father of Hushan. And Hushan was Samson's father. Samson had the same pension and propensity for foreign wives as did one of his forebears of that being Solomon. And this tribe of Dan was way ahead of the pack, so to speak, endeavoring to return Yahweh to his rightful throne over them. And the account of 1 Kings 11 and 12 and the division of the two kingdoms being of God is absolutely critical and pivotal in understanding the different prophecies to the two different houses, the two different houses, everything that we've spent so much time discussing in these fellowships for so many years. So within 80 years, as I said, second king, two kings rather, with all the favor of God bestowed upon them. And it was literally descending into the circumstances and the cause 
necessitating division in order that God could keep his covenant with David and his covenant with Abraham. Clearly, the Bible being the account of the geographical, physiological, ethnological, philological history of Jacob Israel, second to none in accuracy. And this first king's division was the root of the tree planted by God, which has led the course of humanity in the greatest periods of economic prosperity. It has been in these times that wicked men, taking the occasion of the liberty with which God makes men free and returns them again and again and again, to servitude and bondage under men. There's no escaping it. The record is clear. The only form of government for humanity is that theocratic government which serves the will, the purpose, and the dominion of the King of Kings. When will this be, is the question. And the answer, of course, is when all the governments, when all the kings, when all the democracies surrender to him, which, as the words of Psalm 72, 8, quote, shall have dominion from sea to sea and from river unto the ends of the earth, end quote. This cult of the last days in obscuring the identity of biblical Israel continues. To tell the people they're in the last days. But they simply will not tell the people of God. To come and take the dominion for the king of kings. And that cry in 1 Kings 12, 16, to your tents, O Israel, has more significance to our history than we've likely ever considered. This event took place in Ephraim's land area. It is these people who pursued self-rule under God for centuries. The evidence is out there for all to see. They were of the spirit of Gideon who refused to be anointed their king, saying instead, Yahweh is your king. Oh, yes, it took this root of liberty a long time to blossom. Listen to what British Prime Minister Gladstone himself commented in the mid-1800s. Quote, it is represented in the scriptures, and it seems obvious that the transition from this patriarchal republicanism to monarchy was in the nature of retrogression. Quote. What a profound statement from the British Prime Minister himself. It is represented in the scripture. It is represented in the scriptures, and it seems obvious that the transition from this patriarchal republicanism to monarchy was in the nature of retrogression. 
In other words, we were under, he calls it patriarchal republicanism, which was self-rule under the theocracy or the, uh, the kingdom of God. And to regress to monarchy is actually what we did. And of course, that's recorded in 1 Kings chapter 8. This is what's going to happen to you if you want this king. This is what's going to happen to you. That He's going to make you know, your wives bread makers for him. He's going to do all these different things. I have seen the hand raised by Joe, but I was really wanting to continue with that thought. And uh, Joe had a hand raised. J Joe, did you have something? Um, uh, oh, okay. He's got something technical. You can you can handle that, Jeremiah. All right. So anyhow, what's interesting about that statement by Prime Minister Gladstone himself is not so much what it conveys, but what's actually unseen. Our whole lives, we are being taught and drawn to progress and progressivism from trusting in scientists, government bureaucracies, corporations or medical professionals. All the while, the honest truth is largely retrogression. Turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 1. Getting at. Well, let's start. Let's start at 12 for the context of it. How can I myself alone bear your cumbrance and your burden and your strife? Take you wise men and understanding and known among your tribes, and I will make them rulers over you. You answered me and said, this thing is good, which thou hast spoken. It's good for us to do. So I took the chief of your tribes, wise men, known, and made them heads over you, captains over thousands, captains over hundreds, and captains over fifties, and captains over tens, officers among your tribes. I charged your judges. I charged your judges. I charged your congressmen. I charged your senator. I charged your representative at that time, saying, is that what the scripture says? No, it does not. He says, I charged your judges at that time, saying, hear the causes between your brethren and judge righteously between every man and his brother and the stranger that is with him. You shall not respect persons in judgment. You shall hear the small as well as the great. You shall not be afraid of the face of man, for the judgment is God's. And the cause that is too hard for you, turn it unto me, bring it unto me, and I will hear it. I commanded you at that time in all things of what you should do. This is the representative government, the civil administration that ancient Israel had and was instructed under. We weren't electing presidents. We weren't electing congressmen who we none of us know at all. And everybody would say to me, well, but Doug, 
all politics is local. You just have to have your local people for crying out loud. If it isn't evident to us right now that these two representatives that we have as senators from every state in the union are woefully inadequate to be any kind of a representative to the state and the rest of the people in the state at all, not to mention the congresspersons. And so we have this continued, you know, uh, downward spiral into the abyss because we're doing things against the word of God, against his own intentions for his people. Furnish yourselves wise and understanding men, those known among your tribes. I'll place them as chiefs over you. We were born to liberty. Think about it. We were spawned in liberty, drawn out of Egypt upon the authority of God. This is why the spirit of the Anglo-Saxon, Germanic, Scandinavian, Celtic, and kindred peoples the world over are the ones who predominantly seek after liberty under the God of Jacob Israel, the true liberty. And it is these people, according to the commission of God, according to the prophecies of God, that would indeed bless all the nations of the earth. There's nothing to be ashamed in that. But we still have church leaders all over that are embarrassed by that and ashamed to even, I guess because they maybe don't even know it, and of course, then you would have others say, well, that's racist. You know, part of that taking up that cross and being willing to go where Christ said we must go and follow him to means that you'll have people that will say things about us that is not true. And we get that. We understand we're not the racist. We understand that we would uh, like to to be left alone in our own nations and those that do come in amongst us that we allow in amongst us that they abide by the laws of god as the scripture requires our ethnicity is evident in the abundance of israelite names throughout the anglo-saxon nations of the world everywhere the dispersed tribes of jacob israel wandered by divine providence their names were left behind on monuments, buildings, cities, towns, counties, townships, economic places, and even economic endeavors and so forth. Their names were to a great extent as common to Hebrew as to English. And the tribe of Dan was one of the earliest to leap forth. While we're in Deuteronomy, go forward to chapter 33 quickly something to share with you there. After the page flipping, but they're just not turning for me here tonight. Uh, drop down to verse 22. And of Dan, he said, Dan is a lion's whelp. He shall leap from Bashan. He shall leap from Bashan. 
And this is exactly what Dan did. He leaped from Bashan, the geographical location of Bashan, in their travails and their travels. The tribe of Dan, they named rivers, streams, towns, the Danube, the Danmark, Rodan, Donastor, Danzig. And that's all yet a greater proof of who they are. The Danoi of the Greeks and the Tuatha, the Tuatha Danans of Ireland, they separated by great distances. They were separated, I should say, by great distances, but they were the same race, the same tribe, and they are identified with the children of Dan in Palestine and the Danes of Northwest Europe. The Celts arrived in British Isles within a couple of centuries or so as Kimiri, sometimes with a C, sometimes with a K. They were known to the Romans as Kimbrians or Cimbrians or Cimbri or Kimbri, as Kimeroi to the Greeks. Even Tacitus locates them between the Baltic Sea and the German Ocean. The Crimea and Cambria still bearing their names. Rawlinson identified the Gemiri on Assyrian inscriptions as the Kimeroi of the Greeks, as those that were under Esar Hayden. And Esar Hayden's reign was just prior to the Assyrian captivity, placing Israelite Danites in close proximity with some interaction with them. And what connects these Celtic Qumri, Kimri, called by the Assyrians, is the obelisk in the British Museum founded by Layard, which depicts, and I quote, the tribute of Jehu, son of Qumri, silver, gold, bowls, vessels, goblets, and pitchers of gold with scepters for the king's hand, all these I have received, end quote. Well, Qumri is the Assyrian designation of the Israelite. And Rawlinson records, again, quote, in the Babylonian transcripts of the Achaemenian inscriptions, the term which replaces the Saka of the Persian and the Scythic uh, columns is Gemiri a term which always elsewhere means tribes, the, means the tribes. The ethnic name Gemiri first occurs in the cuneiform records in the time of Darius Histaspes, that is in 500 BC, as the Semite equivalent of the Aryan name Saka. The Babylonian title of Gemiri as applied to the Saka is not a vernacular but it is a foreign title, end quote. I will read that again. I'm going to start at the thoughts that I was recording um, here just ahead of this. Remember the British Museum, there's an obelisk that's now in the British Museum. It was found by Laird, which depicts, quote, the tribute of Jehu, son of Qumri, silver, gold bowls, vessels, goblets, pitchers of gold, with the scepter for the king's hand, 
all these have I received, end quote. Well, that Qumrai there is no, uh, is, um, searching for the word I was going to use, but it's none, nothing less than Omri of the scriptures. And it's recorded as Qumri, K-H-U-M-R-I. Because they had different dialects and different ways of speaking, so they recorded things differently. And it has taken people with studying to figure out, well, who are these people? And once they study enough things, they are able to determine, well, exactly this is who these people are. And so then they share that with you. But you don't know this because we're not being taught the philological evidences. We're not being taught the physiological evidences. We're not being taught the ethnological evidences of history. We're not being taught the geographical evidences of, of this history either. Now back to the quote of Rawlinson, quote, in the Babylonian transcripts of the Achaemenian inscription, inscriptions, the term which replaces the Sakai of the Persian and Scythic columns is Gemiri a term which always elsewhere means the tribes. The ethnic name Gemiri first occurs in the cuneiform records in the time of Darius Hystaspes, that is in 500 BC, as the Semite equivalent of the Aryan name Saka. The Babylonian title of Gemiri as applied to Saka is not a vernacular, but it is a foreign title. And so much of the history is not Biblical only. It's like a right and a left-hand glove. What the Bible may not have recorded, the secular inscriptions bear record. <clears throat> and I know many of us here in these fellowships know much of this. We've read different books we've read some of the books that we did studies on you know um yeah uncovering the mysteries of your hidden inheritance by robert allen by balakias um the mystery of the gentiles by ted wyland um symbolism of our celtic uh saxon uh heritage um by bennett um uh i've got a few more here um Guess I don't have them in my office here, but you know we've there's numbers, uh, scores and scores of books of people who who have who have written about this. How about the lineage of the Scarlet Thread? You know, we have all of this history, and you and I both know the vast majority of professing Christians out there know nothing of this history. Their church world has just taught them it's sufficient for you to just love Jesus. Trust in him. I'm not saying that it is insufficient or is sufficient. I'm saying there is more to the story. There is more to be known. There is much more in your history, which knowing your history, it's like pastor said to us once. If you knew that you were to have the greatest inheritance and somebody said, well, we're not going to tell them about that inheritance. We're just going to tell them, you know, this or that or whatever else. 
you would be passing up the greatest inheritance that the world has ever known simply because they just decided to tell you something different and you never knew therefore that you had this great this great inheritance this is a lot like what's happened to the israel people the, the biblical israelites of the bible they're passing up on the inheritance that they have for essentially the pottage that they're being given to by the you know the pablum churches which you know basically tells them you know oh boy these are terrible times we're definitely living in the last days you know um uh, you know listen to us get our book buy our next book we're going to tell you all about where all this leads to and then they lead you right to israel the land geographical landmass in the middle east occupied by those calling themselves jews today and saying behold god's chosen people The last days cultists routinely apply the biblical record and prophecies improperly. And we've just briefly reviewed some of the genealogical, philological, geographical, and ethnological history available to any of these last day cultists. And yet, they're not teaching anybody this. Aren't you kind of asking yourself, why? Why are they so ignorant? Why do they not have an interest, a desire, and a passion? And some have said to me, Doug, you need YouTube channel. You need this. You need to do this. You need to do that. I just want individual. And I've said it before. You can put this on a YouTube channel, but that is not what the people are interested in. You go look at YouTube channels and you go look at stuff. And what are the people interested in? They're interested in talking about Bali. the same old stuff. Mm -hmm. Say again. Folly. Folly. They're interested in folly. Very good way of putting it. They're not truly interested in hearing this and that i believe is part and parcel of god having a remnant and building a remnant he wants the seekers the knockers as pastor wyland says you know those that are looking and you can go and subscribe to some other you know youtube channel and everything sounds good and then finally realize after about five years that gee that guy is basically parroting everything that uh, any anybody who understood their biblical identity was preaching for the last 35 years well if that's what you want to do you can do that Well, but they're supposed to be digging into the word and and dividing the word and understanding the word and sharing that good news of that gospel. And that is the gospel. That is the gospel is the good news. That's what the word gospel means. The good news is that this God of creation laid down his life in the form of his only begotten son. And took it up again to redeem his people back to him whom he had divorced, Jeremiah 3.8, to have a new covenant with them. And again, you can't even talk about prophecies and revelation in last days and so forth if you do not still yet understand 
that he made a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. A remnant of those houses. He remained faithful to Abraham. Uh, go ahead, Russell. Uh, I, went off I took your thought completely away, didn't I? All right, sorry about that. Uh, that's all right. Let me. Is it possible? Coming you know, back. Is it possible? Go ahead. All right. Is it possible they are just as Malachi confessed? We were in Malachi at the end of last week's fellowship. They've grown in, in, in essence, they've grown in contempt of God. Wondering why he doesn't come and save them. That's exactly what Malachi was, <laughs> was sent to the people to express. We don't need Blinding to go back their... to Malachi, but turn to Habakkuk. Go ahead, Russell. They're blaming their Lord. <coughs> well, you're getting your composure there. Um, Sounds like a drink of water went down to the wrong hatch. Turn to Habakkuk. <clears throat> Here in Habakkuk, at about 640 to 600 BC, we have the reformation of King Josiah. And what we often see is periods of prosperity while abiding in God's will and periods of turmoil and oppression when disobedient to God's will. And America today is sitting there saying, we're disobedient to God's will. But yet, that very constitution is the one thing that they continue to wrap themselves in. They will not cut the tie, cut the umbilical cord, so to speak, of the one thing that binds them against God. The Supreme Court is the law of the land. The Supreme Court is the judge of the land. Nine men, women in black robes. In the first 11 verses, Habakkuk 1 to 11, let's do that. The burden which Habakkuk the prophet did see, O Lord, how long shall I cry and thou will not hear? Even cry unto thee out of violence, or excuse me, cry out unto thee of violence, and thou will not save. O Lord, how long shall I cry, and thou will not hear? Verse 3, why dost thou show me iniquity and cause me to behold grievance? For spoiling and violence are before me, and there are that raise up strife and contention. Therefore the law, therefore the law is slacked. And judgment does never go forth. For the wicked doth compass about the righteous. Therefore, wrong judgment proceeds.
me repeat that. Why do you show me iniquity? He's saying to Yahweh and cause me to behold this grievance. For spoiling and violence are before me. There are that raise up strife and contention. Do we not see the strife and contention that there are that are being raised up against us? We've had division in this country since the two party system came. Yep. Is that not strife and contention? Therefore, the law is slacked and judgment does never go forth. For the wicked doth compass about the righteous. Who compasses the righteous? Who compasses the righteous? The wicked. The wicked compasses the righteous. Therefore, wrong judgment proceeds. Five. Behold, you among the heathen, and regard and wonder marvelously, for I will work a work in your days which you will not believe, though it be told you. For lo, I raise up the Chaldeans, that bitter and hasty nation, which shall march through the breadth of the land to possess the dwelling places that are not theirs. They are terrible and dreadful. Their judgment and their dignity shall proceed of themselves. Excuse me? They are terrible and dreadful. Their judgment and their dignity shall proceed of themselves. I didn't work up that word dignity in that scripture, but that would be an interesting one to look up. But in other words, they are, it's, it, these people are dreadful. And who is this? This is the Babylonians, 597 BC. Their horses are swifter than leopards and are more fierce than the evening wolves. And their horsemen shall spread themselves, and their horsemen shall come from afar. They shall fly as the eagle that hastes to eat it. They shall come all for violence. Their faces shall sup up as the east wind, and they shall gather the captivity as the sand, and they shall scoff at the kings, and the princes shall be a scorn unto them. They shall deride every stronghold, for they shall heap dust and take it. Then shall his mind change, and he shall pass over and offend imputing this his power unto his god you see that's what you see when the wicked and the unrighteous have this upper hand you see they have imputing that this his power is given him by god whatever their god is and yet god is doing it all as a work of destruction. I want you to think about the fact that Jesus Christ was crucified, laid in a grave, three days, and he rose. He walked among the people for 40 days, making himself known to many, many peoples. And then he ascended to the throne at the right hand of his father. He was given all power, dominion, and authority. God had transferred all power, all authority, and all dominion to the son. You have an inheritance that you're going to bequeath to your children. You have a son 
that that inheritance is bequeathed to and that son may have directives to further bequeath that to others that's what god did he bequeathed that inheritance that he had that authority that he had he bequeathed to the son for the son to do what the son was to do and then brought him back to sit on the right hand god himself full dominion and authority and the 40 years roughly that transpired between that death burial and resurrection and the destruction of old test old testament jerusalem old covenant jerusalem and the temple that was all grace brethren my wife remarked to me when we were talking about that today she says that's a lot of years and it surely is he gave them almost 40 years to come out of her my people as john the revelator said that you partake not of her sins and that you be not taken with the destruction and how many of them fell because they did not take heed of that warning and that wisdom and this is what we're doing we're taking warning of that wisdom and heeding that warning the church world the last days cultists they just say we're just waiting on god to take care of it we're just taking it wet we're waiting on jesus to take care of it well he will take care of it and he will be taking care of them too now because i say that doesn't mean that i'm more righteous than somebody else or that i'm somehow no I have to work out my salvation daily just as all of you have to. But I'm not peddling false prophecy. I'm not peddling my wares and say, buy my books. I'm not saying, well, look at the views that we have. Look at the number of, you know, hits that are out there. I hope that what we're doing here is we're honing ourselves in the word and giving ourselves more and more ammunition ammunition in which to articulate this bountiful gospel good news to the israelites today who still do not know here habakkuk records the complaint why does yahweh allow his own nation of judah to be destroyed for its wickedness by a wicked nation babylon why god do you do this in spite of this yahweh's answer is huh, although babylon is indeed drunken with the blood of these nations they will themselves be destroyed that god would fill the earth with his people praise yahweh praise god habakkuk could see that judah needed and deserved correction yet he acknowledges the righteous shall live by faith and nearly six centuries later the biblical record shows us once again judah was in need of impending day of wrath 
In fact, God said his only begotten son in whom all power and authority was given transact in his behalf. And despite those firsthand warnings, despite him even asking them, what should the good master do? And they said, he should miserably destroy those servants. Jesus must have just almost chuckled inside himself when he heard that. And despite those firsthand warnings, they rejected him. And it would be 40 years of grace. And how many of them came out? The warnings are everywhere evident. Even would those today recognize their biblical identity, should we expect something to change? Just asking. Israelites and Judahites actually knew their identity at the time of Christ. Some, some did. Israel had lost much of her identity. They felt like they were cast off, and indeed they were. They felt like they would never, ever be reunited with God. But they failed to understand the prophecies. A remnant understood it. But God, his infinite mercy and grace, said, go into the world, and you go tell them the good news that I have come. I have laid down my life, and I have raised it up again. The purpose here in these fellowships is to equip us with the eternal confidence in a most magnificent future, in your understanding of your identity, and to trust in Yahweh exclusively, to trust in him exclusively, this God of Jacob Israel. So I've gone into some of the ethnological here just with the tribe of Dan. I want to wrap up a little bit on these ethnological evidences that we've reviewed here in brief. But the descendants of Jacob Israel, such as the Tuatha Danites and the Kimri, who predominantly migrated to Ireland and Wales, we can't neglect greater Anglo-Saxon, who came six and seven centuries later to the British Isles. Again, quoting Rawlingson, the father of Assyriology, and I quote, It is very remarkable that in the Achaemenian inscriptions, the Sakon, our Scythic population, which was widely spread over the Persian Empire, receives in the Babylonian transcript the name of Gemiri. End quote. Let me say it again. It is very remarkable that in the Achaemenian transcriptions, the Sakon are or excuse me, the Sakon or Scythic population, which was widely spread over the Persian Empire, receives in the Babylonian transcripts the name of Gemiri. He's saying it's remarkable in those inscriptions, those populations were given the name of Gemiri. Thus, the Gemiri, the Sakai, and that it's spelled S A C A I. A-I in Hebrew was sons, sons, Saka, which is Isaac. 
Tansaka, so Sakai, and then Sakai, Sakai, which is A-E, Saxons. They're all the same ethnological root, just as Amos called them in Amos 7.16, where he said, don't drop the word against the house of, of Isaac. So, assuming those professing to be Jews are indeed biblical Judahites. And you would expect, man, we are up. You've got to hang with me. It's going to take me another seven minutes, probably. The name, let me say that again. All right. Assuming those professing to be Jews are indeed biblical Judahites, you would expect the name Jews to be attributable to that tribe, the tribe of Judah, and thus the house of Judah only. The 10 tribes are the house of Israel, the house of Jacob, the house of Isaac, the house of Joseph, the house of Ephraim. Those are all synonymous with one another of the 10 northern tribes of the house of Israel. So why do the last day cultists continue to preach about the last days, but continue to ignore the prophecies concerning Jacob Israel and ascribe everything relevant to Jews only. Just a question, just putting it out there. Why ignore this ethnological history of Rawlingson alone? And I quote, the ethnic name of Gemiri occurs in the cuneiform records as the Semitic equivalent of the Aryan name Sakai, meaning sons of Sak. These were called Gemiri by the Asiatics and Scythians by the Romans. Thus, Sakai or Sake equals Isaac or sons of Isaac. The last days cultists completely ignore and intentionally obscure the identity of Jacob Israel despite the prophetic utterances of God himself. Genesis 21, 12, and I quote, for in Isaac shall thy seed be called. Confirmed by Paul in Hebrews 11, 8, of whom it was said that in Isaac shall thy seed be called. And Bashan was that mountainous region inherited by the son of Joseph, Ephraim. D'Anville traced it to Britain, to a distinct area beyond the Caspian Sea called Sakata, S-A-K-E-T-A. And it was equivalent to Saxonia and signified the land of Isaac, as does Saxonia. Greek geographer Ptolemy recorded that a city in Bashan as the most ancient home of his people, which bore the name Sakasea, S-A-C-A-S-E-A. Page, uh, page 47 of Giant Cities of Bashan, Porter also confirms it. So we've discussed many times the various peoples referring to others, including Israelites, by their own native tongues, their own languages, after their dispersion. 
And after that dispersion of Israel, we see them being called Dion's, Gauls, Gales, Danes, Goths, Visigoth, Normans, Gatea, Alani, and a host of others. And it was this Saxon name or classification which predominated and is still used as a racial identifier today. They are of the house of Joseph, Ephraim Manasseh. Sharon Turner, and I quote, on the continent, they were so proud of their forms and their descent and so anxious to perpetuate them that they were averse to marriage with other nations. End quote. Let me say that again. Sharon Turner, on the con quote, on the continent, they were so proud of their forms and their descent and so anxious to perpetuate them that they were averse to marriage with other nations. End quote. Whitcomb. Quote, the Franks were amazed to see men of such large bodies and so great souls. They were looked upon as the most valiant of the Germans, both for the greatness of soul, strength of body, and a hearty temper, end quote. You see, whether it's the Danans of Ireland, the Kimiri of Wales, the Saxons of England's British Isles, all from their wanderings from Palestine. They all belong to the race of Jacob Israel. Their ethnological roots prove their single origin, their single racial traits, their single destinies, all declare the promises of God, the handiwork of his people Israel. Stay tuned. Part four. I hope this has been an inspiring and uplifting understanding of your wonderful heritage and this good news that this Jesus the Christ laid down his life for you and me bound in our sins the sins of our forefathers having cast off god the ultimate sin for other gods baal god deities of corporations baal god deities of constitutions everything but god jacob israel himself And I, for one, enjoy screaming this from wherever I'm able to, that somebody might hear and stop calling me somebody who's just complaining because you can go about your election this year and your election in two years. You can go about all the things that you want to do. I'm telling you, until you turn back to the God of Jacob Israel, and surrender to him exactly as you are supposed to do, abiding in his will, completing the circle of your complete subservience to his will and his dominion, then you can just keep on doing what you're doing and the 
last day's cultists will keep on doing what the last day's cultists do. And that is tell you, Jesus is going to come and save us. There will come a day that his wrath will come. But as to who he's saving or not, it's going to be entirely up to him, as it's always been. Heavenly Father, I pray this blessing would be a benefit to those of yours out there, wherever they are, that might hear this. I pray, Father, for it to touch them, to inspire them, to your, their true biblical identity, and to your loving kindness, to your boundless mercy, to your great commission that they've been given, and that you're expecting and anticipating they would wield and take control of. And you'll come and do the rest once they acknowledge their sin, turn to you, accept everything in your will, become completely obedient to him, to you, the King of Kings. I ask it in the blessed holy name of the Lord Jesus Christ, who you gave us as an intercessor, to bring these words most fitting to your ears, saying that it being done in the heavens, the doors being opened in the minds of the people, those that are yours, those that have the will and the desire to hear. Let it ring out to them. I ask it. Give thanks for it. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Well, I know we're at the top of the hour, folks. I don't want to keep everybody too long. But um, I uh, am glad we have this opportunity. And I don't, I don't know how everybody feels about it and so forth. A lot of times I just hear about it later in an email or something. And so I'm just trusting and counting that it's it's going to have fertile, fertile soil somewhere. It's exciting to me. Why would we ever want this not to be known to his people? Just it just escapes me why the church world would not be so desirous that this good news that this wonderful news and trying to return back to him with our whole hearts would not be the effort that we could unite behind let god work the rest seems too profound that we would let such a magnificent opportunity slip away Amen. Just doesn't make sense. Did I lose a microphone, Jeremiah? Nope. Uh, you okay. did for a second. Uh, okay. Maybe. It sounded Fine, like you know. All right. It did sound like it went out. So, all right, ladies and gentlemen, again, thank you for uh, fellowshipping with us here this evening and uh share it far and wide 
and be glad in it and make sure that you let people know of this great truth of your biblical identity. Good night, all.